Hello, and welcome to the fifth episode of the ARC Audio Review, which, like the name implies, is the audio version of the ARC Review, which in turn is the digital, written expansion of ARC Books, where conversation about culture, literature, and ideas are a daily occurrence. I'm your host, Snorra Abnatsson. First of all, I want to thank everyone for coming to Lucinetta. All the guests, performers, and everyone who helped make it happen. It was great. To celebrate the one-year anniversary of the ARC review, ARCBooks is putting out a print version with a bunch of articles, and it's called the ARC 100, since we're nearing 100 articles on the ARC review. It should be available soon at ARCBooks, so drop by and pick up your copy. Then you can have the ARC review in your ears, in your eyes, and in your hands finally something tangible today's theme is ephemera those short-lived things and moments that we never seem to be able to grasp and hold fully but we also have a very special interview with chris kraus at the end of the show kraus is the author of i love dick aliens and anorexia torpor summer of hate and most recently after kathy acker Gio and Macon were lucky enough to be able to catch up with her at uh, Louisiana Literature the other day. So make sure to stick around for the interview. What is the ephemeral? The ephemeral is something that, much like itself, I often find to be fleeting. I think the time I think about it most is when I'm hungover and it starts swirling in my head. Because it's all the things that I wish my hangover was and clearly will not be. It's the end of summer. The clouds have taken permanent residence in the skies above slash inside us, rendering our city slash world slash consciousness drab slash gray slash wet slash cold. This leaves us in a state of wistful melancholy, Reminiscing about the past, those warm days when we lazed around in the sun, went for a swim in the ocean, stayed up late around the barbecue, giving our punt to people who depend on it for their well-being. But how can the end of something that barely began have such a powerful effect on us? What's going on here? The consensus seems to be that If there even was a summer this year, it was not a particularly good one. Weather-wise, at least. Everybody talks about the weather, but no one does anything about it. Words truer now than ever before. In Denmark, we had the worst July in 38 years. Our minds wandered to the good old times when everything was simpler, easier, better. Now nothing can be taken for granted. Sure, the sun will rise tomorrow, but we won't see it. Obscured by a veil of evaporated water, the sun keeps spinning around us, only occasionally showing its face. Yeah, I know that we abandoned the geocentric model around 400 years ago, but that's not the point. This time of year, we come to understand how ephemeral things can be. A feeling heightened in light of the fleeting joys of summer. No matter the weather, 
Summer is when those unforgettable moments happen. If only we could preserve them in jars of formaldehyde like the brains of famous scientists or animal specimens in a museum. You know, memory is unstable and constantly in motion. Even unforgettable moments tend to fade. Details lost to sacrifices on the altar of Father Time, with an hourglass in one hand and a scythe in the other. If only there was a chemical process available to us, so we could freeze a moment for eternity, fight back against the clock. Can anything be ephemeral when everything is being captured on film? All the time. Nothing forgotten. When everything is always preserved, do we move from a linear theory of time, where events follow each other in a sequential order, to a block model of time where everything exists all at once? Nothing lost. The path infinitely carried into the future, with a click. In the instant of a flash. The instant of a flash is Franek's article on the ARC Review about photography, or writings about photography. It's mostly a collection of quotations on photography, as Franek writes. Underlined passages, sentences copied to a notebook, little bookmarks made out of the scraps of paper, print screens of the selections of PDF documents. All with a purpose, I realize remotely echoing the one of photography, to capture an element of reality and preserve it, prolonging its existence, single it out as a moment. Quotes like photographs, the reminders of an interest taken, a fleeting and often superficial one, in many cases impossible to reproduce upon revisiting. What was it that arrested me back then? A feeling not unlike one experienced upon re-scrutiny of old photographs. When we take pictures, we're trying to somehow capture reality. Hold on to it. But this at the same time modifies it. It frames it or reframes the moment. One of the many paradoxes of the world in which photography exists is that it not only allows us to capture the reality, but it also directly affects it dictating how reality should present itself. Ergo, how should it be? In this sense, photography goes far beyond its original positive capacity to register and instead becomes a normative factor. There is no innocence of photography. It makes sure that the Sartrean gaze organizes our existence from our private life to our public sphere. We may forget that we are conditioned, but it does not make us any less so. These words remind me of a scene from David Lynch's Lost Highway, where two detectives ask Fred and Renee Madison. Do you want a video camera? No. Fred hates them. I like to remember things my own way. What do you mean by that? How I remembered them. Not necessarily the way they happened, 
What Fred is implying here is that the video camera captures the world as it is, while memory is somehow more constructed, less real, less reliable. And as we see in Fanek's article, the first point can be refuted, while Stina's article, Yes, Dr. Louise Banks, I'm bound by its order, supports the latter. She writes, Moments, if they turn into something, turn immediately into transformed fragments called memory. These memories are the only access we have linking back to those moments. But by remembering these transformed fragments slash memories, they become already something new, a new moment. The new moment is rooted in the original, but it brings something different to the table. New, one might say. And it exists in its invisibility, always linked to the original. Memories do not have the same source either, as they depend on time, thoughts, circumstances, and angles that change them. We change them. Still, our stories exist. And it's the memories and moments that allow them to do so. I know of nothing more insecure and beautiful in its existence. Remembering never fully captures the moment. As soon as the moment passes by, it's gone and will never be reclaimed in its full originality, whatever that may be. Everything that enters this world and then leaves it can be seen as ephemeral, as fragile, fleeting. I see the stars as having always been there. When they gaze back, they see just a bleep on the radar. Here, and then not here, anymore. I think it's futile to imagine that we can save things from their inevitable disappearance. So, maybe there's nothing more to be said about the ephemeral, except maybe that... The ephemeral is... The ephemeral is... until it isn't anymore. We now go over to Macon and Gio, who got a bit day drunk at Louisiana Literature and managed to snag an interview with Chris Krause. The floor is yours. We have like um, some technical questions where we can feel like we're showing off a little bit um, and we'd love to hear what your thoughts are on that. So, um, Gio, if you'd like to take the, the first These are one. technical questions about recording. No, 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 no. <laughs> I was reading the book and then I was reading interviews with you afterwards and uh, articles about I Love Dick um, and Aliens and Anorexia. Um, and it was this notion of female desire that like penetrated the book that it was like inherently about female desire as well and it really caught my attention because what it was never really explained to me then what this female desire is or what like constitutes female desire as opposed to like desire or masculine desire what that's about yeah and I was wondering if you could say more about that because I don't think that female desire necessarily were your words as much as other people's words about it but I found it really interesting. I feel like the desire that manifests in both of those books mm -hmm. is more of an ambition desire than mm -hmm. a sexual desire. Mm -hmm. You know, the character in the books is really just longing to appear, yeah. to be present to other people in the cultural world. Mm -hmm. 
um, yes, I mean, it's about a sexual obsession, mm. but it, it's, it's, people talk about the book as if it's so sexual, mm. and yet there's really hardly any sex in the book. No. Yeah. I mean, it's like, you know, 350 pages about like a single sexual encounter that's told in two paragraphs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like Henry James in that way. Yeah. I mean, there's a secret fuck somewhere in the golden bowl, but there's like 550 <laughs> pages about yeah. consciousness. Yeah. So, but there's an energy to this desire, to yeah. this infatuation, mm -hmm. and that energy is only partly yeah. a sexual longing energy. Mm -hmm. It's just as much a desire. It's, you know, desire is like a surplus energy. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, yeah. it's a desire to appear. Yeah. Okay, because yeah, I think that went for, yeah because I didn't get it as sexual energy, but maybe what they call in the, in the articles like this female desire, it seemed like a class issue of like desire of what you desire and the debasement. It was always tied to the debasement. Like when female des females desire something, it's like there was this objection and this debasement of oneself that seemed like it wasn't necessarily. A female issue as much as it was a class issue of like when you desire something that is above you or beneath you then the basement might be involved with that that's a really good point it's always surprises me when people use the word debasement mm -hmm. in relation to I love dick I think I use it in passing in the book mm -hmm. you know mm. Um, that people say women are debasing themselves if we expose the conditions yeah. of our own debasement. Yeah. Mm. Because what's debasing or what's embarrassing? These are all really basic human experiences that are being talked about. Mm -hmm. You know, you love someone, they don't love you back. Yeah. I mean, how mm. common is that? Yeah. yeah. Um, I went off on this whole jag, I don't know, years ago. When, I, I don't know if you've read my book, Video Green. No, that's the only one I haven't read. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, you've got to read that. Um, there's a long essay in the book where um, I'm talking about these Cole Porter songs. Mm -hmm. You know those old songs mm -hmm. that used to be in 1930s and 40s movies? No, sorry, what were they called? Cole, Cole Porter's Cole songs. Porter, songs and Cole Frank Party, Sinatra yeah. would sing these Cole Porter songs. Uh -huh. mm. And they seemed so adult because they were all about unrequited love. Yeah. and accepting the fact mm -hmm. of the finitude mm -hmm. of the love affair. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, the love affair will not go on forever, mm -hmm. but while we have it, yeah. Yeah. you know? Yeah. And that seemed an incredibly mature point of view yeah. and one that we've lost, yes. yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah, Because yeah. now it's like if the love affair doesn't go on mm -hmm. forever, it's a failure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So like love affairs like become investments almost. Like like it's like I'm I get to be... It's like the old stereotype of the the company man has to be a married man, that kind of thing, or like you know, it's like a, it's like a, an extra add-on as well to your identity, maybe. Yeah, I mean, I've also started to think just looking at the mores of, say, I have um, Silvera's daughter, mm. my stepdaughter from that marriage. Her and her friends, their white weddings and all these things that I would never have contemplated <laughs> yeah, yeah. in a million years in my life, but I. I see how alienating and frightening the world is for them yeah. and how they really do not expect any kind of self-realization in their work lives. Yep. Mm -hmm. And so the family becomes everything again. You know, the source of all fulfillment, the source of all security, the source of all like yeah, self-realization. Yeah. 
Um, and that's really sad. But yeah. I mean, I think it's also true. They all work for corporations. Yeah. I mean, they're all totally expendable within the corporation. Yeah. No one expects to work at the same place all their life, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so no one really expects to, you know, mm. um, realize themselves mm. through work. I mean, yeah. for people of Silver's generation or mine, mm. it was all about becoming yourself through yeah. Work in yeah. culture, yeah. you know, that was like that mm. was the greatest thrill. Yeah. Not so much for younger people, you so know, they're more realistic. So <laughs> that kickstarts maybe also like a new conservatism. Yeah, yeah, yes. Because, like, as you say in um in uh, in Torpor, you make the a reference to like I think it's Deleuze's remark about um how uh, Jerome or Silver's generation is the last generation for whom things really mattered. Yeah, and as you were saying also before in your um, conversation with Emma, and also in, in the conversation with um, uh, Jarrett Corbett, Quebec, um, <laughs> which just came out as a publication, that you find um, today transgression is incredibly banal. So, like, it's almost as if we've transgressed so much because things no longer matter anymore. And I'm wondering what the next, what you think the next thing that we should be doing is. Well, obviously, we need to have a, a beneficent theocracy. Okay. That's nice. the next thing. <laughs> what do you mean by that? Like, what's the... Well, people are so lost, and there seem to be no rules and mm. no structure. And um, I was reading about this guy. It was a profile on him in The New Yorker. And he's an evangelical Christian, but not a right-wing evangelical Christian. Okay, yeah. And he's talking about, you know, Christianity as a way of giving people a new sense of social order and purpose mm-hmm. and meaning in their life. Yeah. People are just starved for meaning in their lives. Mm. And people seem to like leaders. Yeah, yeah. So maybe we could do a lot worse than go back to a theocracy. <laughs> because yeah. democracy certainly isn't working. Yeah, it's like, is it... Is it democracy that's not working, or is it democracy when it's like injected into um, capitalism? Well, democracy requires an informed group of citizens yeah, yeah, yeah. who identify themselves as citizens and not consumers. Yeah. And never in my mm. lifetime has that existed. No, no, it's true. You yeah. know, the individual is a consumer. Yeah. You know, who is marketed to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, a, a passive consumer, yeah, and yeah. it's only gotten. More so, and yeah. people have gotten stupider and stupider, and more <laughs> and more, um, more and more um, blunted, yeah. and really incapable of making mm. any informed choice. Mm. Mm. You know, so routinely the media goes and asks people before the American elections who they're yeah. voting for, and the reasons that people give for their picks of candidates. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just completely insane. Yeah, yeah. You know, I didn't like the way he talked to her wife. Yeah. You know, I didn't like the way, you know, he showed disrespect. I mean, yeah. they act as if these are real people in their lives, these media puppets. Mm. And um, so there's there's no decision making going mm. on mm. in electoral politics. Yeah. And it's run the clock coverage yeah. of spectacle, you know, online, in mm. print media, on TV, everywhere, to the exclusion of really worthwhile mm. and interesting mm. things yeah. that are happening yeah. in the world. Yeah. So I've totally had it with democracy. <laughs> I think democracy sucks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's like, it's, it's really interesting because it's almost as if like our whole notion of democracy has always been insufficient if it was always about individuals coming to a consensus because they were always already separated. 
mm-hmm. if that means that like um is there is there something like that we've been fundamentally missing maybe when we talk about democracy then well that that part doesn't bother me I think I really like that consensus idea you know, the consensus, you know that's yeah. like a Quaker meeting <laughs> yeah, but yeah. it takes a lot of work yeah you know it can take them sitting there for six or seven mm, hours mm. to reach a consensus yeah, yeah. You know, and that means that all the talk needs to be talked. Yeah. Everything needs to come out, and you know, it's both thought and feeling yeah. need to be exchanged among people. Yeah, yeah. To you know what they call the feeling of the meeting. Yeah. In Quaker culture, yeah. For that consensus to be reached, that's a big commitment. Yeah. yeah. We're so looking forward for your uh, biography of uh, Kathy Acker. We started out reading Great Expectations. Mm-hmm. Uh, which was really difficult getting into and it was like it kept pushing us away but we were wondering like, what should readers start out with if they want to get into uh, Kathy Acker's authorship what book should you start yeah. with oh I'm sorry you found Great Expectations difficult that was I think my favorite it was funny it was, no no I like but it was a hard had, start it was a hard start I think I had to it was like in third go then it, and I liked it every time, but like it was like it kept pushing me away. Yes. And maybe it's because I don't know English is my second language, mm. but it was very difficult. So I wanted to know like where should people start out with her? I think try the childlike life of the black tarantula. Uh huh. That was her serial novel. Mm-hmm. She published it as six scenes mm. uh, that she sent to a list of people, mm-hmm. and she would produce them. You know, she would take three months and then three months off, and then three months to do another one. Mm-hmm. She was totally working on her own self-imposed deadlines. Yeah, when she was mm. doing those projects. Mm-hmm. And um, so they're short, and she has a different formal mm. agenda mm-hmm. for each of the six. Yeah. And they're also a lot funnier than her later work. Uh-huh. And uh, there's, there's always like a formal imposition. There's always a formal mm. constraint that she's imposing, yeah. mm-hmm. but it's not so forward. It's, it's more accessible and it's funnier. Okay. Yeah. Great. Okay. Cool. Yeah. And then the last one is uh, for all these people that like, felt like they had their eyes opened up by I Love Dick and it was this like boost like wow what should they read afterwards what what, should they read afterwards what would you recommend when people have like had their like huge personal experience with I Love Dick like where to go after that oh um, if they want to read about feminism Mm -hmm. well they should definitely read Shalama's Firestone okay yeah oh yeah I know the name I just haven't read it the okay. Dialectic of Sex, that's a really brilliant book. Okay. And I think they should read Nina Power, too. Oh, yeah, Nina Power. Yeah, Nina great. Power yeah. is fantastic. Mm. And then I think they should read Lauren Berlant. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. I told you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Great. Um, I guess I, um, thanks so much for all your time. We have one last thing. It's a, it's a, a, a gift for you of a, a Danish author who's um, oh. also, I mean, obviously you might be overburdened with gifts, but... Uh, oh. Wonderful. We figured maybe it could fit in your suitcase. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. She's a big fan of Jarrett's, and Jarrett's a big fan of hers, so... I, I need a book. Yeah, okay, good. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks I'm, so much, Lily. Thank Great you so to meet you both. Yeah, you too. That's all for now. Thanks to Nerea and Franek for sharing their thoughts on the ephemeral. And come by the store buy the physical version of the Arc Review. It's good, I promise. 
Also, if you're tired of Macon sounding so smart all the time, just wait for this song to finish and you can hear him in his uh, natural environment. So the ephemeral is um it's uh, you know how yeah so if you got a if you went to Disneyland yeah so yes you there's the goofy hats the thing with the goofy hat is that you you were very happy at the time and and now it's in a landfill and it's it's more it's it's more like you know when you have some cheese and you you've melted the cheese it's it's almost that it's that window of time when the when the melted cheese is on the bread and it's um it's perfect. It's perfect in how it's melted, and it's it it's before it's gone too cold, and it started to kind of re um Some people say something about sunlight, and I'm not sure because um, that happens every day. Uh, some 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 places. Um, uh, there's 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 there's. Something about rain smell, rain, rain smell uh, after long, long periods of warm weather. Um, I, I I worry because there's some. Sometimes people say that um, I'm uh, uh, what I say. It, it sound it sounds smart, but it's actually it's just funny. Um, and uh, yeah, and I, I worry about that. 